Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. So welcome again to the show. I have my coffee in hand. What are you drinking these days? Coffee? Water? I got to have a little bit of a spark sometimes in the afternoon, and it is afternoon here. You know I've got a heart for entrepreneurs. We've talked about that before. I are one, right? And as I think about my own journey that I've learned so many lessons from, some of them were hurtful, some of them were challenging, some of them came from rejection, and a whole lot more came from support, people that believed in me, people that gave me a chance, people that would rise above maybe someone else's opinion, like in HR, they'd say, no, I want her to do that workshop. I never forget those people. And don't you either. That's what authentic leadership is about. And today we're going to learn from a woman that is an entrepreneur, is now working to help entrepreneurs and has a fantastic story. So let me just talk about Sherry Dutchman. This is her book. And it's called Lunch with Lucy. Now her name is Sherry. So the first question I asked her, and I'll ask her on the show is, <laughs> who's Lucy? We're gonna learn about that. Let me tell you a little bit more. Sherry is a phenomenal woman who started life with a dream. And that dream was dashed. A single mom, no formal education, not a lot of money, but with determination to make a life for herself and her family. Sherry moved from her home to Nashville, and I'm gonna let her tell you about that. Bottom line, Sherry is someone who's learned to see opportunities where others would miss them. How many people can look around and find some little dots along the way that need to be connected and someone else might just bypass that, but not Sherry. Her strong values of positivity and a gutsy attitude, she started a company called Letter Logic, and I'm gonna let her tell you about it. Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Valerie. It's just awesome to be with you. Uh, I was laughing as you said she didn't, she had a little money. I had almost no money. In fact, when I, I started my journey to Nashville, I had less than $200 to my name. And what? so this first couple of years in Nashville were really difficult because sometimes I had to choose between paying daycare as a single mom or paying the light bill. So uh, my daughter and I learned how to live without electricity a little too often. Oh, that doesn't even seem, that doesn't even seem real, knowing that you have built a company that got to $40 million. So start there, Sherry. Please tell us the story about moving to Nashville. Well, you know, I thought I was a singer. Uh, and if you come to Nashville anytime soon, you'll see that uh, half the doctors and lawyers <laughs> uh, and the taxi drivers, they're all, they all came to Nashville to be stars. And so I came out and auditioned for a TV show uh, kind of the precursor to American Idol and the Voice. 
and uh, I came in third place, which isn't good because there were only three contestants per show. Um, so even though I came in last place, I still thought I had the goods, uh, moved to Nashville to be a star, and uh, I had very little to fall back on because I didn't have, I had only a high school education. I had no uh, formal training of any kind other than in toilet scrubbing because up until that point in my life, I had made a living uh, cleaning bathrooms. Um, my sister and I had a route where we clean gas station bathrooms, if you can even mm -hmm. imagine how horrible that is. But I had a really good background as a Jehovah's Witness. I was raised as a witness and, you know, one, there's a great uh, work ethic taught to witnesses, but also uh, the ability to deal with rejection because even from, you know, like eight years old witness, that witness kids are going door to door with their sermons and their messages. So um, I came to Nashville and uh, went to find a job. I uh, went to a, a car dealership because I heard that they gave free demos to, to uh, new salespeople and I got my first job selling cars in Nashville. Uh, did something really stupid, which too many women do, started dating my boss. Uh, not a smart move, so had to leave that job and ultimately found uh, myself a really good career in selling. And, and that um, I, had, I had talent as a salesperson, and that turned out to be a really good vehicle for me uh, to start being able to pay the light bill and buy a car and buy a home. Um, and I ended up working for a company that printed and mailed hospital bills. Um, definitely not a very glamorous business. But one, it, it right at its beginning, very fast growth business. And I was able to go from, you know, having so little money that I couldn't keep the lights on to, to buying, um, you know, a couple of homes and driving a Jaguar and having money in my savings account and things like that. Um, I got very frustrated with this company as uh, I would add a few accounts and they would lose a few accounts because our service got to be so poor. And it occurred to me one day that the reason we were losing customers like that was because my coworkers didn't care. I mean, most of the problems we were having were just like simple human error, really just carelessness. And I realized my, my coworkers didn't care. That's why they were making the mistakes, but they didn't care because nobody cared about them. And I saw it because I was totally responsible for 100% of the revenue coming into that company. And I knew my boss didn't care about me. And so I thought about how much less he might care for the people out running the machines. So I, I approached him and said, hey, I, I think if we could work on treating the employees better and work on morale, then we could stop losing customers the way we're losing them. And he patted my hand and said, Sherry, you don't know anything about business. Why don't you just go sell something? And it was that you know dismissive attitude and condescension that just caused me to say goodbye to him. I left that day and never went back in um, and started, which seems crazy now that I did this, but decided to set up a company competing with him from my basement. And uh, at that time, his company was about $15 million company. Um, and he was right. I didn't know much about, uh, you know, I didn't know much about business. You know, I'd never even read a business plan, much less written one, but I wrote one and I based it on what I learned 
about how Herb Kelleher started uh, Southwest Airlines um, with his belief that if you took great care of the employees, that they would take great care of the passengers and the passengers would be happy and would be loyal. And that would translate to, you know, good return on investment for the investors. And so I just copied his model and then put my own touches on it. And um, had just an incredible benefits package for my employees. Um, so is it our, do I, can I take the time to tell a little bit about those benefits, Valerie? Absolutely, because it has everything to do with culture and what made your culture similar to Southwest Airlines, but different. Well, you know, half of our jobs were in IT, but the rest were in, you know, running machines. And I wanted every employee to be as vested in the, the quality of the products and services as I was. And the only way I knew to do that was to share the profits with them. So we had the only one of its kind of profit share plan where every month we took 10% of the profit and we shared it evenly so that the CFO got the same thing our janitor got. Um, and then we paid a real fair living wage. Um, and I could talk for hours about what that means. Um, we also helped every employee buy their first home uh, with the gift for the down payment of their first house. We let them bring their kids and their pets to work because I had remembered how hard it was as a single mom if my daughter, you know, if she had a runny nose, she couldn't go to daycare. And then yeah, I couldn't go to work and I couldn't earn the money that I could have earned that day. And so I just told the employees, bring your kids to work when you want to. And then um, we helped those employees start their own businesses if they wanted to have a business. Uh, we paid them by the mile if they would walk or bike to work. Uh, we paid for 100% of their medical, dental, disability, and life insurance. And my goal was to take care of them so well that when they were at work, they weren't worried about whether or not the lights were on when they got home or uh, whether or not they, their car was going to be repossessed. They could just totally focus on taking care of the customer. And it worked. I mean, we, we grew so quickly and we grew quickly because we didn't lose customers. And um, even though we were the most expensive in the nation uh, by a long shot, we grew enough, fast enough to be on the Inc. 5000 list. And that is the list of the fastest growing privately held companies in the country. We were on that list for 10 straight years and we were able to grow with no debt. So growing the company to 40 million in revenue without owing anybody a penny was incredible. And it was because every employee felt like it was their company uh, and they were totally vested in the bottom line every month because of that profit share. So it was, uh, it was just amazing how beautifully it worked. And it's actually a really, really good business model. Uh, but early on, when it comes to like, who's Lucy? Early on, um, I realized that some new employees were afraid of me, uh, intimidated by me. And um, I had a practice of taking them out to lunch. And one day I was with a young woman who, who was, she was shaking. And I asked her why. And she said, well, I, I've never, I've never been to lunch with a CEO before. Um, 
And I had to tell her that the other employees called me the E-I-E-I-O and not the CEO. And, um, and then I explained to her that she was way more educated um, and that she had accomplished a lot in her life that I had not accomplished and, you know, that I was in awe of her. But I changed the practice from then on. And so I invited employees to invite me to lunch. And I, on Wednesdays, the day that I had lunch with employees, I called myself Lucy. So I wasn't Sherry, the CEO. I was just Lucy, a coworker. And uh, the employees chose the restaurant. Uh, they chose um, who else might be at the table because sometimes they wanted me to meet a spouse or the rest of their family. And um, sometimes it was entire departments that wanted to go to lunch with me to talk about a policy change. But that those lunch with Lucy times became probably the most critical time I spent growing my company because I got to hear directly from the employees about uh, their life challenges. Um, sometimes conditions that they were facing every morning before they even came into work. And um, I learned about their hopes and dreams. Um, and not a single one of them had dreamed about coming to work for a company that printed and mailed hospital bills. So, um, you know, I got to learn about, you know, what they thought I was doing right as a leader and what they thought I was doing wrong. And I listened. And uh, I thought, think that time with them was just incredibly valuable and is probably one of the, the pillars of the things that made our company so successful. Um, my, my husband um, has a real estate company and he copied me um, and he called his, instead of lunch with Lucy, he called his duck out with Deutschman and invited uh, his employees to take a walk with him. So sometimes they would walk around the block and sometimes five miles, but just shoulder to shoulder walking and talking about life. I, I am, I'm just, so many things are going through my head to ask you, Sherry. First of all, I wanna tell you that those of us that are watching you on the YouTube channel can see your eyes and can see your body language and everything about you just exudes exactly the things you're saying. Compassion, caring, positivity, all these things. And one of the things that you mentioned to me was a teachable point of view was that kindness and compassion is contagious. Why is it so hard today for leaders to show empathy? Not all, but some. What holds people back from that? I think it's just fear. Uh, and you know, it's, it's afraid of being too generous with others, afraid that it'll make them look weak, perhaps, or afraid there won't be enough left for them. And we are so siloed in so many ways um, that, you know, we cease to see one another as just humans with the basic need to be heard. And it's just that basic, that basic need to have a voice and to be heard that could be really impactful globally. Uh, uh, and especially in these small businesses, it could, make, it, it could make a business. You know, part of that goes back to something you said about um, listening. It's just interesting to me that 
as I'm now going back out, thank goodness, doing workshops, leadership workshops, almost every one of them, the leader will say to me, mention something about listening. Quote, mention something. Well, they're going to get much more than a mention. Add to that, the CEO of American Airlines developed a whole program around foundationally listening. It's a big deal. You talked to me when we had our pre-interview, Sherry, about how listening not only is important, but that it has a whole lot to do with how you can help other people solve their problems. Can you give us a story about that? Well, I, I think it's just uh, critical to listen. Um, and through listening, you learn how people want to be communicated with. And so you learn how um, to reach their hearts. Um, I remember as a child, um, my, my father was a good man, but really uh, kind of a harsh uh, husband and uh, belittled my mom often. And as a 12-year-old uh, girl, I watched him day after day belittle her and put her down. And I knew that um, that wasn't consistent with what his uh, Christian values were and, you know, the scripture that he espoused to us all the time. Um, and I struggled with how to get my father to stop doing that. Um, I had empathy for him as the, you know, as the parent of seven kids and how hard that must be and to have a leadership position in his congregation and all the pressure that he must be under. But I couldn't sit by any longer and listen to him mistreat my mother. But I knew from listening to him through the years and observing him that if I just went in as his daughter and said, hey, dad, I don't like the way you're treating mom, he wouldn't listen to me. He wouldn't hear me. And so I terrified because um, he was a pretty harsh disciplinarian, very strict. I tiptoed down um, with um, a, a, a religious book uh, about how to build a happy family life. And I said, Dad, can I read something to you? Um, and he uh, at first yelled at me and, and, and I ran away crying. And then he, later he called me back and asked me to read to him what I had planned to read to him. And I read to him from an authority that I knew he would listen to. And that was, uh, you know, the Bible um, and the scriptural principles for how a husband should treat his wife. And, um, and he listened and it forever changed my relationship with him. Um, and it was subtle changes with, he did not change with how he treated my mom overnight, but the change in our relationship, which really happened because um, I had listened to him through all those years and watched and observed how best to communicate with him. And so I translated that with my employees um, to find ways that were meaningful to them um, and made it so if I went to get myself a cup of coffee, I would grab a cup of coffee for someone else and take it out to them and just talk to them for a few minutes about their work and their day and, uh, you know, finding a common ground with them and just listen. And in that way, I got to know all their families, their family members, their personal struggles, and knew how best 
to equip the company to deal with those personal problems that impacted their lives. Jerry, that's a beautiful story to tell. And that leads me in the way you said it, being so vulnerable, it leads me to something else that I know your culture was built on, and that's transparency. Yes. Talk to us about that. I think there were three critical pillars of our company's success. And first was listening. And second was the transparency piece. And um, I see leaders all the time wanting their employees to uh, make, the, make better decisions and to uh, work toward you know, a healthier bottom line. But I don't think employees can do that without understanding how the company makes money and, and especially understanding their part in helping the company make money. And so um, one of the things that we did uh, in, in the, the vein of transparency was sharing the books openly with the employees every month. So I gathered all the employees together in one room and later in one big factory floor and uh, shared with them the P&L from the previous month. So they could see to the penny how much money we brought in and then to the penny what our profit uh, was. And then we talked about why we had the results we had. So if we had a really good month, um, we could talk about how how uh, well everything went and uh, that's why our profit was up so much. And if we had just a couple of screw ups, we could see the effect on the bottom line. And then without pointing fingers at anyone, we knew exactly where our problems were and we knew how to correct them. And so uh, that transparency changed behavior. Uh, I'll give you a dozen examples of how it changed behavior with the employees and made them care a lot more about the bottom line because they saw their connection to it. And I think another uh, really crucial practice when it comes to transparency was around the fact that we published the leadership, uh, the minutes to the leadership meetings every week. So our conference room was kind of uh, where everybody could see us. So they could interpret uh, a gesture or a facial expression or raised voices as something bad going on within the company. And often after a meeting, they would say, what was going on in there with so-and-so? And so I realized their need to know what was going on behind those doors. So we started publishing the minutes every week. We had a big flat screen out in the factory and we just published the minutes to let them know exactly what we were talking about. Uh, and one of the coolest things about that is during the lunch with Lucy, the things that I heard from them uh, about what they needed to do their jobs better or what they wanted me to stop doing as a leader to make their lives easier, they knew I listened because they saw it show up in the minutes of the leadership meeting. And they knew that we raised the subject and that we talked about it and that we took action based on that. So that level of transparency um, gave people confidence in me that I was listening um, and it gave them confidence in the whole leadership team that we had their backs and that, that we heard them. Uh, and I, I can't even see any, any downside whatsoever to this level of transparency. Uh, I had a few employees who wanted more, uh, namely the sales team. They were you know, never quite satisfied with just seeing the P&L. They wanted to get into the nitty gritty. 
and and I loved them. I just had them pull up a chair next to me and we would go into NetSuite, which was our accounting software. And I would say, have at it. Don't go into people's salaries, but anything else you can look at. And so it helped them make more informed decisions about which accounts to, to sell and what the pricing should be because they could see our cost to the fraction of a penny and uh, really helped them they were the best sales team in the world. I'll put them up against anybody, but it helped them sell exactly in the sweet spot of what the, you know, the company needed from them. And that only happened because of the transparency and leadership. Wow, there are so many things that you implemented. I've always thought it was an interesting question when uh, a leader says something about the culture of the company positively. And then I will say, well, how does that show up? in the company. In other words, how do you walk the talk? And you've just given us all kinds of ways, which the book gives us more. Let me ask you this question, Sherry. Are there any downsides of being so employee-centric in a culture? Well, if I wrote a book about the downsides, um, it might be a really thick book with a lot of empty pages because I can't, I can't think of a, of a single downside. I've had some people criticize me and say, what, you gave away 10% of the profit every month? And I wasn't giving anything away. I look at it as um, our pie was this big and I, and I invested 10% of that pie in, into the employees and they, because of their vested interest in that 10%, they made, made the pie this big. They made the pie huge, $40 million huge. And that uh, is just one of the, the upsides of this you know, employee-centric cultures. Uh, and I think even if people, I did it from a place of empathy and common sense, but even if a person has, doesn't have that innate empathy, it's just a really good business model. Um, I've seen other companies employ it now after reading my book and having ridiculous results, things that you wouldn't believe unless you could see the before and after of their financials. Well, I'm glad. Don't write that book. Don't bother. Write another one, but not that one. It's, uh, it's also such a reality that here you are talking about these things that worked, that grew the business to $40 million. Southwest Airlines is doing the same thing. They are continuing to do the things you're talking about differently, but they've maintained that culture. I loved the book for a lot of reasons. Now, as an author, <laughs> I always look at, oh, what, you know, what's the format here? So I want to tell our listeners that the format I thought was fascinating. The way you did it was just so cool. Lunch, obviously, that has to do with food. So the format is all about food. The menu, here it is. So your first course is appetizers, and then shared plates, and then the house specials, and then the sides. And so you're making all your points with, with that theme, which is really unique. So kudos on that. And, and at the end of every chapter, you have something called a takeaway box. One of them was growing too quickly with a strong po positive cultural foundation will give your business heartburn and loss. Did you grow too quickly? 
we didn't, but I, I've seen other companies do it and implode. Um, you know, one of a recent guest on uh, my, my company's um, uh, meeting was a woman who started a company and grew it quickly to $5 million only to implode and have the assets of the company auctioned off because she ran out of, uh, she ran out of money. And so uh, you know, cash management is a really big concern for, for small businesses. Um, and I've seen it. I've seen it happen multiple times with people growing too quickly and imploding. And the company, one of the companies that I work for, did the same thing, which is why we started having, uh, you know, apathy among the employees and uh, inferior service. So it takes patience. Sherry, yeah. what's one thing that people don't know about you? Oh Lord, I'm a I'm an open book. Uh, so <laughs> if they know me, they know way too much. Uh, let's see. I, I, I'm, I'm a saxophone player. Um, oh, are you really? I was. It's really hard to play sax and sing at the same time. So I kind of put that aside, but I sure hope to at this stage of my life in my 60s to bring it, to get back to playing the sax and to get decent at it again. It's great. What do you do to celebrate your wins? Oh, I, I like to, to celebrate with, uh, you know, at Letter Logic, celebrating with the employees. It wasn't enough to me to give them 10% of the, the profit every month to invest that in them. But at the end, when I sold the company, I, I was able to give them 15%. Um, and wow. I felt, I felt like Oprah um, to be able to share and to hand people checks for fifty to $70,000 uh, for their contribution to help us uh, be successful. And so typically I like to celebrate my wins by celebrating it with the people that made it possible. Wonderful answer. Well, tell us where you are now. You sold the company. You're on the next journey, the next season of your life. Well, the, the, uh, I'm really passionate about helping other women experience, you know, what I've experienced as an entrepreneur. And um, there's less than 2% of women business owners who ever get to a million in revenue. So I created a company for them. It's called Brain Trust. And the whole point is to help women build million dollar businesses. Because once they get to a million, then they can better attract investors or a line of credit pay themselves a decent salary and start, you know, creating generational wealth and influence. And, you know, it's ridiculous the amount of influence you get from being a successful business owner. You know, for me to come from, from North Carolina to Nashville with no education and no money and no talent and to end up um, being recognized by the New York Times and then by President Obama as a White House champion of change, those things only happened because I had a successful business. Um, it gave me a megaphone. And so I'm trying to help more women get that megaphone so we can start influencing, um, you know, culture, uh, today's society. And uh, Brain Trust is doing that with pretty significant results already. And you started this when, Sherry? September 2019. Okay, so it's pretty new and it's growing fast, but not too fast, right? <laughs> yes. 
Hopefully. Uh, there, there's a, a little fear about growing too fast, but we're, we're mindful of it and we talk about it here. So I want the uh, people to know how they can learn more about Brain Trust, and it'll be on the banner underneath, of course. What is the, um, what is the website? It's um, ourbraintrust.org. You're getting ready, and you're getting ready to have an event in June. Tell us about that. We're bringing together our existing members with lots of prospects to just celebrate an incredible year. We, we've had a year where um, in our first year uh, of full operation, um, not the 2% as nationally done, but almost 6% of our members made it through the million dollar mark. And even in, in a pandemic added hundreds of jobs, uh, incredible results like a member telling us this morning that after her business being stagnant for 10 years, she doubled her revenue the first year she was a member. So those are the kinds of things we want to get together and celebrate and, and be together face to face for the first time in a long time. So we're, we're all very excited about that. And look at you, you're just smiling as big as a Chesser cat. Like this is really your next purpose. You fulfilled one. And that's another thing. I just had lunch with someone today, Sherry. We were talking about the seasons of life. And you're an example of now in this season, you're doing another incredible thing. And that it's never too late to do something new and to have a fabulous impact. And that's what you're doing. So I want our listeners and our watchers to learn more about Brain Trust because that's doing some fabulous things for women entrepreneurs. Thank you. Again, I wanna to say to our listeners, if you want this book, and it's really good. When I first read it, <clears throat> I've got a few tags here. Well, when I first read it, I had a multiple, uh, a whole bunch of tags. I just wanted to go back and rethink some of the things she said. So it's full of fun reading, but some great wisdom for anybody at any level as a leader. So remember now, here's the deal. If you want a signed copy by Sherry, a signed copy, send me an email. Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com. Put in the subject line, Sherry signed book, something about Sherry and the signage, right? Whatever you want to say, I'll get it. And then I'm going to forward that to Sherry and you'll get your signed copy. And I think that'll be pretty awesome. Sherry, it's been a real joy to have you. It's always so special to have authentic leaders who maintain their values and live their, um, their integrity every day so that it shows you're not putting your light under a lamp and just kind of coming to work and being a typical leader, anything but that. So we're gonna continue to watch your successes and as they happen, as I do with all my guests, you need to let me know and I'll be posting forevermore. This is evergreen, Sherry, you're gonna be on forever. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Valerie. It was, it was a joy to be with you. Great. Now, let me leave uh, audience by talking about the things that obviously I'm so passionate about, all of the things we talked about. I really get such a joy also out of working with people who want to be their best, who are ready for some growth opportunities, Maybe it's in a promotion, 
Maybe it's a new job. Maybe you've been riffed out of an organization and you're trying to figure out what to do next. That's my specialty. And I approach it with all the things we talked about today and a sincere caring for you. Because when you're successful, there's nothing better than laying my head down at night and knowing I was at least a part of that journey. So if that's something you're interested in, just again, email me, Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com and let's chat. And now, stay tuned for Valerieism. So here's my Valerieism for the day. It's this. If you live to make a difference, you'll be more fulfilled as you live to build your living. And I want to tell you about a story on that, because at the end of the day, what would you say is more important, money or people? Now, if you're saying money, you can just tune me out. If you say people, stay tuned, because that's what life is about. I've experienced someone uh, in the last few years that is perfect person to share with this Valerieism's name is Don. And Don was a very humble giant of a CEO. Can you get that visual in your mind? A humble giant CEO. He had a leadership mindset that every day when he came to work, his first thought was, what am I going to do today to make a difference in people's lives, he meant. And so every day, when he came to work, he looked for those opportunities. And you know, when you have your eyes and your ears open, you see and you hear things that maybe you wouldn't otherwise. And so the day came when he had to make a very difficult decision. And he stopped and he paused and he said to himself, what decision can I make that will make a difference in the people aspect? He always went to that default. And the end of the story is he did make the right decision and it served him well. And when he passed, there were so many people that came to the funeral and came up to his children and told them stories that they never knew about the things that Don did for other people that no one ever knew. In other words, what do you do that you don't tell other people about? What are those things you reach out and make a difference in? And you don't have to spout it out to the world. It's just coming from your heart. And things like, well, Don, you know, did you know Don put me through college? That was one of them, I remember. Did you know Don uh, sent me on a trip that I had needed to go on and I couldn't and he heard and he just said, here's the airplane ticket. And he did things that made a difference. And thus... His living was more than successful. That's my Valerieism for today. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.